John chapter 7, and we will finish the seventh chapter today, which means we'll be one-third. We talked about the hockey analogy, 6,000 years of history, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000. Well, John is 21 chapters, 7, 7, and 7, so we'll finish the first of seven chapters. So we'll be one-third of the way done. Be great to finish the book of John and Jesus come back. How about that? Now, sooner would be fine with me. The best place you've ever been is, would be, well, it wouldn't make it into heaven anyway. So uh, no place is even worth comparing. But picking up with where we left off, if you recall, we finished through verse 36 last week. I'm going to read verses uh, 37 through 43, and then uh, we'll read the final verses 45 through 52 uh, we get into the study, but I'm just going to read the first uh, part of this text first, and then we'll uh, get into the rest of it. Starting with verse uh, 37, chapter 7, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Don't you want rivers of living water coming from your heart? You can't create that, but you can receive it. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. That's all of us. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just ask again for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your help to teach your word. We need your help to learn it, abide in it, grow in it. Lord, we pray that you would block out all the distractions. And Lord, let us hear from you and you alone. We pray that we would all grow nearer to you and grow in your grace. I pray that you'd remove me from the equation that each person might hear from Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So we left off with Jesus standing in the temple. I'm looking back to last week here. We left off last week with Jesus standing in the temple in where? The middle of the week. It was the middle of that feast of tabernacles or feast of booths. And he was proclaiming last week with a loud voice that he was soon going to return to the one who sent him. And that many of them did not know him. Him being who? God the Father. He said, many of you, I'm going back to him who sent me, and you don't know him. The crowds of Jewish worshipers and leaders, they of course knew plenty about God, and they believed in the existence of of God, and in your wallets, you might have a dollar bill that says, in God we trust, but that doesn't mean you know God, right? right. Or on your quarter, although is there still a coin shortage out there? You know, everywhere you go, must have exact change, we have a coin shortage. You do not, I have a ton of it at my house, here you go, but nevertheless. But you can know of the existence of God, but not know God. And that was what Jesus was telling the hearers last week. They didn't know God like Abraham knew God. They didn't know God like Moses knew God. They didn't know God like 
David knew God. They didn't know God like Daniel knew God. Why? Because they lacked a relationship with God. Head knowledge of God doesn't mean relationship with God. That's only possible through what? Genuine faith. All the patriarchs, you know that we all agree that all the patriarchs were looking forward to the Messiah. All the patriarchs were looking forward to the Messiah. But now he had actually come. I mean, here 2,000 years ago, there in the temple, Jesus was the Messiah in their presence. And each person that encountered Jesus had to come to their own place of belief. Abraham's belief couldn't be their belief. Moses' belief couldn't be their belief. They had to come to their own place of belief. Even as parents, we can't make that decision for our kids. They have to come to their own place of belief. You hear that, kids? You've got to come to your own place of belief. As it was in Cana, as it was in Capernaum, as it was there in the hills all around the Sea of Galilee, Every crowd always, if they were in the crowd, they heard the same words. It's not like Jesus said this to one crowd, or, or people as he spoke. Remember in the Pente- day of Pentecost, this voice went forth and each person heard in their own language. But they heard the same thing. They didn't hear something different. They didn't hear a different gospel. Each person heard the same gospel. And there in Galilee, everybody would hear the same. If Jesus was preaching, they all heard the same words. If, they, if he did miracles, they all saw the same miracles with their own eyes, but, but their heart reaction, what would their response be? Well, it wasn't always the same, was it? Some believed, some didn't believe. This continues in Jerusalem. Same words from Jesus, from his mouth to their ears. But just as Jesus taught in the parable of the sower, you know the parable of the sower? you got that uh, satchel thing on the side and they're just taking a handful and throwing out the seed. Now when you throw out that seed, and Jesus told that parable, it would land on what? Different types of soil. Some lands on rock. Some lands in weeds, and it springs up a little bit, and then it's gone, choked out. So once again, it's a different day of the week here in chapter 7. It's now the end of the week, but it's the same Savior. Same Savior giving the same seeds of truth and love. Yet each, each hearer is going to have to decide. They're all hearing the same thing. They're all hearing the same Jesus stand there in the temple. They're getting the same exact message right now. Those of you online, those of you out in the courtyard, those of you in the fellowship area, those of you here, you're hearing the same words from me. How you receive them is each heart. They're going to hear the same words, but they're going to have to decide to believe in Jesus or to remain in unbelief. And that's always the decision. That's the decision of your neighbors. That's the decision of your co-workers. That's the decision of our, our politicians. They either remain in unbelief or they're going to believe in Jesus. And by the way, when you believe in Jesus, everything changes. Jesus says living water starts to flow in you. Dead men become alive. Dead women become alive. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. The Promise of the Holy Spirit or continued unbelief. That's, that's the choice. Stay in unbelief or receive the Holy Spirit. It's now the last day of the week during the feast, and we have Jesus' closing remarks, which is really great news. Great news that he's promising the Holy Spirit and the life of the Spirit. But we also have the closing responses, and some of the closing responses aren't so good. 
as we'll look at in the latter half of this text. But if you're taking notes, the first thing we want to take a look at this morning, uh, just two points. I've The first one, He provides living water. First of all, you and I can't even make regular water, right? Is there such a thing? Regular water. Just regular water. Living water is a supernatural thing, but we can't even make regular water. We can find it. Did you know in some states out west, water is becoming a shortage? Water's a big deal. You find out how big a deal it is when it, doesn't, when, when it can't be found, but we can't even make water, but we definitely can't make living water. And we need, we need God to give us the gift of just good old-fashioned H2O. And last night, uh, yesterday I did, for the first time ever, I, I had a funeral in the morning that I went to, and then I did a wedding last night. And I was thirsty by, you know, because it, like, it was hot, and then I, in the middle of that I went home and trimmed a bunch of hedges and sweated off I don't know how many pounds, and, and then got showered and dressed and then went and did a wedding. And um, water, I, I did not want milk. I wanted water. Right? You can't replace that thirst, but Jesus provides this living water. And once again, Jesus uses a commanding voice. It says, if you look back in your Bibles in the text there, verse 37, on the last day, that great day, this final gathering of the multitudes for this Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cries out with a loud voice, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What a change, because you know our heart, the Bible says our heart is deceptively wicked, and who can know it? Then it can go from that to flowing rivers of water. But Jesus, once again, uses this commanding voice, loud enough and clear enough for everybody to hear, and it's on this last day, what I find fascinating is Jesus does not hear on this last day of the feast, he doesn't give a rebuke, he doesn't give a condemnation. You know, the world already is condemned, he said, right? He said, I've not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He doesn't give a condemnation, he doesn't even give a warning, at least not here, plenty of other places he does. But in this moment, he appeals to us. He appeals to the heart about what he himself can provide to those who believe, and he speaks of this living water, and it's a multifaceted promise. One that impacts our soul, of course, saves our soul, impacts our lives, it changes us. Me and my wife, we remember our before Christ days and our post Christ days. We're not the same people. We kind of look, well, we don't look exactly the same anymore, but we look <laughs> a lot the same, but, uh, but just changes us on the inside. So it impacts our lives. It impacts our life here, but it of course impacts our eternity. One of the things I love about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of things, but think about some of these things. One, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it gives us power. Power. It gives us the power to persevere. You ever feel like giving up? I felt that way this morning. But it gives us the power to persevere uh, the Holy Spirit, He protects us from deception. Did you realize that there's a lot of deception these days? It it's hard to tell who's telling the truth, although in some ways, the more you're saved, it's easy to tell who's telling the truth in some respects. But the Bible says that it'll get so weird and so deceptive that near the end times, even the saints would be deceived if it weren't 
for the fact that God keeps us from being deceived. A lot of deception. The Holy Spirit is a source of joy. You can't manufacture joy, but you can receive joy. Jesus proclaims here, if anyone, he says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone, and this can also read whoever or whosoever. Some of your Bibles may say that. Whosoever or whoever is thirsty. In other words, if there's a thirst in your soul that nothing in this world can quench, and the world's always trying to quench people's souls. Here's entertainment. Here's vacation. Here's a glass of wine. Here's the, you know, every, everything to quench the thirst of the soul. But Jesus says, if anyone has this thirst that the world can't quench, he says, come to me. Come to me. What a simple statement, but a powerful statement. Come to me. And his promise he promises living water. Living water. This was the same promise that he promised back in John chapter 4 to where? The woman at the well. He promised her living water. Not water that temporarily sustains life. Eternal water. Eternal life. And the first step Come to him. There's not a way around that. You say, well, can I get there without coming to Jesus? No. There's, the first step is to come to him. He said, if anyone, he doesn't say, if anyone desires living water, go talk to John. He doesn't say, if anyone desires, go talk to the high priest. If anyone desires, go make an offering. If anyone desires, go sacrifice a lamb. He says, if you want living water, come to me. That's it. First step. Come to him. If a person recognizes they're thirsty, that first requirement is to simply come to Jesus. And he will provide an inpouring of water to the soul that only he can give. And because this provision is eternal, it's eternal in nature, it becomes a spring. You know, springs, um, what you ever see... You know, even when there's no rain, when rivers are still running, it's because they're spring-fed, right? You've got to find the fountainheads. And Jesus says, I'm going to put a fountainhead in you. The Holy Spirit, I'll put a fountainhead in your soul. A living spring. It's only a born-again soul will have in it, then it flows perpetually outward. Let me also add that this thirst, this thirst that he's speaking of, is a conviction by the grace of God. You'd, you were glad God allowed you to get thirsty. That's why me and my wife ended up at an altar call at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale in 1995 because God made us thirsty. That's the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to create that thirst. We see the work of the Spirit laid out in John 16, 8. Did you know that this verse is happening? Isn't it awesome that it's happening in Haiti? It's happening in Cuba? It's happening in Afghanistan? But the Holy Spirit is not bound by other people's restraints. Amen. It says, and when he has come, he will convict the world. Did you know Afghanistan's in the world? Haiti's in the world. Cuba's in the world. Peru's in the world. Sudan's in the world. Anywhere in the world, the Holy Spirit can convict a person of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Well, I don't believe in judgment. The Holy Spirit will make you believe in judgment. 
well, I don't believe in sin. The Holy Spirit will tell you, no, you're a sinner. I don't believe in these things. The Holy Spirit will say, no, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But that thirst can come in a multitude of ways. It's, it's, it's good that God allows us as sinners to become thirsty because then we have to come to Jesus. Guilt and heaviness over sin, that's a thirst. Just guilty over sin. Guilt over sin that leads you to Christ is a good guilt. Guilt over sin that, like Judas, you run away from Christ is not a good guilt. How about a weariness in this world? You ever meet people who are just, man, this world's crazy. I don't think I want to be here anymore. Then you need Jesus. Yes. How about a weariness of ourselves? Many of us got saved because we finally looked in the mirror and said, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Oh, that's a song. But anyway, um, right? You, you realized that you have a lot of issues and you're weary with your own self. Hopelessness. A sudden desire for God where people, I've met people that said all of a sudden I desired to find out if God was real or not. That's their testimony. And then they find that he is and then they found that Jesus was the answer to finding the Father. How about a sudden desire for eternal life? People get older and start to think, hey, I'm not going to live forever. You don't think about it as much when you're like 21 and feeling great. You get to be about 51, 61, 71 and up. Like, hey, maybe, maybe eternal life is something I should look into. How about a deep desire all of a sudden say, well, I don't think I want to spend eternity in hell. Jude says, save some even as by fire. So yes, the message of hell. Jesus spoke more on hell than he did on heaven. So that can be a thirst. But all these produce the thirst to come to Jesus. If anyone is, Because Jesus then says, if anyone is thirsty. He's like, I know some of you are thirsty. Don't you think Jesus knew that? Don't you think he knew who was thirsty? Don't you think he'd look out and say, you're thirsty, you're thirsty, you're really thirsty, you're thirsty, right? That ultimately, that thirst that we have shows us how limited we are. We know that we can't quench the soul's thirst. That we have sin we can't atone for. That's what bring, brought me to the foot of the cross. That which should, should brought you to the foot of the cross. You knew you had sin you couldn't atone for. Or you knew you needed a Savior. And in coming to Jesus, he replaces that thirst with the Holy Spirit. He says, I will give you living water. I'll give you something to drink. John tells us this is precisely... You say, well, are you sure this is the Holy Spirit? Yes, because John says it right there in the text. He says right there in verse 39, but by this, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those who believe in him would receive. After Jesus raised from the dead, salvation going forward, everyone receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. John tells us this is precisely the case, uh, that the giving of the Holy Spirit, by the way, is first off, it is proof that we've been born again by faith, i.e. that we belong to Christ. If you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you've not been born again. There's plenty of Protestants, Catholics, different denominations that don't have the Holy Spirit. Salvation is when we receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, Paul writes this to the church there in Rome. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. I belong to Jesus, right? Some of you, football season's coming and you're going to break out of the closet property of 
Detroit Lions. I picked a totally non-offensive team for this crowd. <laughs> Probably not a single Lions fan here. Raise your hand if I missed that. See, not even one. There's not even one in Michigan anymore. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But if you're saved, literally in our soul, property of Jesus. Amen. And the seal is the Holy Spirit. Amen. The seal is the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Paul goes on in the 11th verse, same chapter, Romans 8, 11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now obviously our mortal bodies will die unless God gives immortality to them and the Holy Spirit is the one that will give immortality to our mortal bodies. But even while we're here still in our mortal bodies, we get the life of the Spirit, the supernatural work of the Spirit. Jesus speaks of this as well in Acts 1.8. We get that now, that life of the Spirit. So with salvation, understand, with salvation we receive the seal of the Holy Spirit but we also receive the power of the Spirit to live a newness of life. And we need that power of the Holy Spirit to go against our own flesh, which is our number one constant enemy. It's not the devil made me do it. Our number one enemy constantly is you, me, I, whatever personal pronoun you want to use. We love personal pronouns in America today, right? I know, that, that, I'm going to not go there anyway. But anyway, number two, uh, we receive the Holy Spirit to defend against the darkness of this world and the deception of this world. We receive the Holy Spirit. To, it's a guard. It keeps us safe with the Lord. It's a protection against our own flesh, but also against the darkness and deception of this world because Satan would love to drag all of us right back into the world. Amen? Right. And any kind of, hey, Lot, look how great Sodom looked. Come on, you know, that kind of thing. Anything he can do to get you back there. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not moving to Sodom. You're staying right here, like Abraham did. No, no, we're not going there. We stay right in this lane with the Holy Spirit. So we have eternal life through the Spirit, but then we have the victorious life in the Spirit. Eternal life through the Spirit, but the victorious Christian life. And that's the complete work. God says, like, I want you to have salvation, but I also want you to live for me until you receive the eternal part. In other words, you're caught up into heaven for all eternity. But while here, he wants you to live. He wants me and you to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, I love this quote. He said, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. And um, Andrew Murray uh, down there in South Africa where he had preached for years, I want to say it was about 15 years he had preached for just one man in the church, just one man to go into full-time Christian service. He could not get one. I, I want to say it was like 12 to 15 years, I can't remember the exact time. Could not get a single man to go. And then came a revival that swept across America, swept across England, all through Europe, down through Africa, all the way to South Africa. And in one month, 25 men gave their lives to full Christian service. These were the same guys he'd been preaching to for years. Same guys. The Holy Spirit ignited 
and people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and a lot of people got what they thought was the deluxe edition. They all got it at the same time. A bunch of people were filled with the Holy Spirit and began. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's called to full-time Christian service. The point is many of them were, but the fact is they weren't living in the Spirit, so they were just deadened to the work of God in their life. But the Holy Spirit, wants, God wants the Spirit to flow in all of our lives constantly. Amen? Amen. And you're going to need it more and more in these days. Let's look at the next section, but let's read the text going forward to the end of the chapter. Let me pick it up with verse 40 again. Uh, Therefore many from the crowd when they heard this saying said, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. <laughs> Imagine trying to be the first person to try and grab Jesus when it wasn't his time. Verse 45, when the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, are you deceived? Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? Rhetorical question. But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night back in John chapter 3, being one of them, he was one of the Sanhedrin, and a Pharisee said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him before uh, and knows what he is doing? The answer is that him, are you also from Galilee? That's not a compliment. <laughs> from them to their peer. Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. That's not true because Jonah was from Galilee. Jonah was from Galilee. They, when people get all fired up in their own personal deception, they lose sight of facts. I believe that they knew Jonah was, but they either totally blanked at that time. You see this when you watch... TV, sometimes you're watching the news, you're like, does this person actually believe what they're saying? Do they really believe a word of what's coming out of their own mouth? Much less should we believe it. But nevertheless, we see this all the time. If you're taking notes, number two, is our just second and last point, he provokes a response. So we know Jesus is the only one that can give living water. But wherever Jesus went, wherever Jesus would go and speak to people, it always provoked a response. You, you've got to react one way or another to what Jesus is saying. You can either run and hide or you can run to him. But the presence of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the words of Jesus always, always, always provokes a response among the hearer. Those that were there, they had all heard the same truth. They had heard the same evidence And they had heard all the truth and all the evidence that they were going to get at that time on that specific day. Jesus was at whatever he said right there in verse 37 and 38. That's all he was going to say on the last day of the feast. He had already spoken in the middle of the week. He had already spoken numerous times. You now have the total message. What will you do with it? How will they respond? How did they respond? Some responded wisely, with belief. Some said, truly, 
this is the prophet. This is the one that Moses spoke of. This really is the prophet that Moses said would be raised up like himself, only greater than him. Others said, no, no, this is the Messiah. They didn't know the Messiah and the prophet are the same. And oh, by the way, the king and the lamb. Right? A lot of times people were looking for these different variations, and Jesus was all of them. He is the king. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb of God. He is the prophet. He is the Messiah. But so some said, no, no, this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the one Isaiah prophesied about and David prophesied that would come. Others, well, they're still in deliberation mode, much like many Americans, just still in deliberation mode, still weighing all the evidence. They're like, is Jesus from Galilee or is he from Bethlehem? And then what do I say to them? Yes. Right? He's from both. They didn't know he was born in Bethlehem. They're really struggling with the fact that he's Galilean when he really was born in Bethlehem and had no one still to, we can see, is it going and asking Mary, where did you give birth? Remember I gave that analogy last week? Most of you ladies, you all remember where you gave birth. You're not confused about that. You can be confused about some things, but you're not confused where you gave birth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but they didn't know it. Grew up in Galilee. Others are saying, well, uh, has, has he really proven to be the Messiah or just another really good teacher? That's a lot of Americans today. Like, well, Jesus is a really good teacher. All right, tell me what your favorite thing he taught you was. <laughs> I don't know any. So how do you know he was a good teacher? I got to let's go to John chapter 3 where it says you must be born again. Start there and then read everything after it. That's the thing that he taught. You must be born again. But it's this, this response of, I'm not yet convinced. Uh, this, I need more proof. I need more time. I'm still kind of figuring it out. It's presumptuous because we, know, we don't have any idea how much more time we're going to get. Neither did they. You're not guaranteed, well, I'm going to think about this for the next 10 years. You might have 10 days left. We've seen, uh, I, I've seen more death in the last 18 months that I can remember in my lifetime. And not just COVID. Automobile accidents, cancer, heart attacks. No one's guaranteed, so it's very presumptuous to say, well, I'm, I'm still weighing this out. When I figure it out, then I'll decide. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. But some believed in Jesus, and some were still considering his credentials. And some, oh, some, like the Pharisees here, they, were, they weren't considering anything. They were adamantly opposed to him. They're like the Taliban. They just want to put you to death. Completely opposed. Nothing he did or said moved them sans Nicodemus, who had come in the middle of the night, afraid of his own peer group. The Pharisees, they just wanted him gone. They had total unbelief. Now some today might say, and you'll hear people say this. I, I remember I spent 16 years in corporate America. I got to witness to a lot of people that had a lot of different belief systems. Most belief system, common belief system, was themselves, money, and career. That's the number one belief system in America, bar none. But then there's a bunch of other ones, religions and everything else. But some might say, even around us today, they might say something like, hey, I have nothing against Jesus. I'm not for him. I'm not against him. I got nothing against him. He's probably a pretty good teacher, probably a good, pretty good prophet, whatever you guys think he is especially. I'm glad you have fun at the church house and all that stuff. Great. 
But I just choose to ignore all religions and all religious figures. I just, I'm just non-religious. I'm not, it's even a checkbox for you now, non-religious affiliated. That's where a lot of people land today. Now, aside from the fact that Jesus isn't just a religious figure, he's God. In human flesh, he's Emmanuel, according to his own witness, which is either true or it's not, but it's true. The I ignore all religions mindset, at the end of the day, you got to understand there are no neutral answers to absolute truth. There's no neutral answers to absolute truth. Jesus says, I am the way. You can't say, well, I'm still trying to decide, and since I didn't decide, I don't have a decision. If I said 4 plus 4 equals 8, and I know math is under attack now in our country too, so, but if I said that 4 plus 4 equals 8, but I say it also equals 5, and it also equals 6, and it also equals 31, and it also equals a million. Just a random bunch of numbers. It means it's 8 plus those other answers are equally true. Or, if I reject all of those answers and say no, eight plus eight, uh, 4 plus 4 is not 8, and it's not 5, and it's not 6, and it's not 31, and it's not 1 million. Indeed, everything but the 8 are incorrect, but that doesn't nullify that 8 actually is correct, right? Let me say it another way. If you say all roads lead to heaven, that's a false statement. All roads don't lead to heaven. If you say no roads lead to heaven, that's a false statement, because one road does, and it's, it's called the way. Make sense? All roads don't lead to heaven, and to say no roads lead to heaven is also false. One road, one way. Jesus said, I am the way. That's what they, they actually called the early church the, the people of the way. One way. One road leads to heaven. There's only one true correct answer, and Jesus is the correct answer standing in their midst in the temple. What will they do with the answer to their souls. And in the case of Jesus, particularly with these Jewish hearers, remember he's there at the Feast of Pentecost. Remember we talked about there's three feasts that all the Jewish males were required to attend. This is the third and final one that all Jewish males had to attend. And there's a huge influx of people. He's got all these Jewish pilgrims, all these Jewish hearers. And the Jewish believers, I mean, so the Jewish hearers, they do believe there's a path to heaven. That's why they're at the temple. They believe there's a path to heaven. They believe there's access to God. They believe God is at the temple. And he is in the temple, but he's also in his temple in heaven, and he's also all over the universe. But they believe that the temple and their faith and following the practices was their access to God. They even believe that there's a promised Messiah. They believe a Messiah is coming. They can hear Jesus, but they can't see Jesus. Turn with me real quick to Acts chapter 28. I could have put it up on the screen, but I wanted us to read it together. Uh, Paul encounters this same blindness with the synagogues when he would travel proclaiming the gospel. And so he would preach. He would often go first to the synagogue. Paul was Jewish, converted, believed in Jesus, went from hating Jesus and wanting to persecute to being a follower of Christ, probably the greatest disciple in the New Testament, maybe outside of John the Baptist. But um, then Paul would go to these synagogues and he would preach to his own people, him being Jewish, he had a great love for the Jewish people. 
Verse 25, so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said this one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. So Paul's like being inclusive. I'm Jewish, you're Jewish, it was our fathers. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and you shall not understand. Seeing you will see and shall not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Who doesn't want healing? But Jesus would always say to people, do you want to be healed? They could hear everything that Jesus was saying. Even the guys that were sent to arrest him said, no one ever spoke like this man. They had heard tons of false prophets. Everything about Jesus rang true. But what will people do if their eyes are blind? It's the heart issue. And the first century Jews that were devout and they wanted the blessing of God and they wanted a Messiah to come, the issue for many of them is they just weren't sure. They could not see that Jesus was the kind of Messiah that they were expecting. They couldn't see that he actually is the Messiah. And the same remains a roadblock 2,000 years later, especially in the Jewish community worldwide. Praise God for the many Jewish men and women, including some in this audience this morning that have come to saving faith in Jesus and Yeshua. And uh, you know, I praise God for the many Jewish believers more in the last you know, 50 years than we've seen in decades prior to that. My good friend, Messianic Jewish leader Sam Nadler will be here October 10th and he'll be sharing right from this pulpit. And God's done an amazing work in a man who grew up in a, you know Orthodox community and there in Brooklyn and believes in Messiah now. But the vast majority in the nation of Israel, if you go to Israel now, the vast majority of Israel and Jews worldwide are still looking for the Messiah. Still waiting for the Messiah to come. Millions are looking for a Messiah that will what? When they wanted it then, it would offer political solutions, economic solutions, social solutions. Not a Messiah that bled and died on a cross. No. Not a Messiah like that. Uh, But Jesus' priority was souls, not giving you a good job and benefits. He said, I came to save that which was lost. This is why the Antichrist, which is a counterfeit Messiah, will be so popular because he will offer all the stuff everyone else wanted. Jobs, money, health care, everything that you ever wanted. So attractive to so many. Now the same is true for us Gentiles. We're all one in Christ, by the way. Once we come to Christ, you're neither Jew nor Greek. Being Greek being a term for all Gentiles, but um, you know, for the rest of us who are Gentiles, the vast majority of Gentiles, they've also rejected Christ in favor of good works, religions, intellect, career, money, just the love of this world. So it doesn't really matter why you reject Jesus. Rejection is still rejection, right? But the response here at the temple on this final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's, it's a visible contrast towards their hearts towards Jesus. In verse 45, it's apparent that the order to arrest Jesus was still in full effect. The officers, maybe they were given till the end of the week to, to get the job done, to complete the task, but they don't arrest Jesus, and we see why. They're amazed by him, perhaps even softened by him. 
And they actually returned to the Pharisees thinking that all the leaders were amazed and softened by Jesus too. They're like, this is awesome. We've never heard anyone speak like him. Thinking that everyone would kind of be say, yes, this, and then that was not the response of the Pharisees. They were like, are you guys also deceived? We pay you good money to be our armed officers, not to be deceived by a lowly Galilean. They were not enthralled by the words of Jesus. The Pharisees' snide remark was to shame them. Are you still deceived? Ironic, because the Pharisees are the ones deceived. They're the ones deceived. This is much like the world today. The world will accuse everyone of their own condition. Devoted Christians today, not just here, but even worse in places like China, North Korea, devoted Christians are labeled intolerant by fiercely intolerant people. Fiercely intolerant people. Those that endorse taking the lives of innocent babies, which are not just clumps of cells, talk about compassion and science when they have no interest in compassion or science. And here the hypocrisy, it's religious hypocrisy. The Pharisees are supposed to be the the, the, the most godlike people, and they're the least godlike because God is love, and they're not loving. Not at all. And um, the second thrust of their uh, retort is that uh, do any of the do any of the rulers believe those of us that have been the Sanhedrin? Do you think we've been duped by this man? In other words, if the smartest and ed- most educated among us reject Jesus. You guys, who are much dumber than us, you're just officers, should certainly reject him. You've got to love people's narcissistic, arrogant mindset. We see it. It's nonstop in our own society, too. First off, smart and brilliance has nothing to do with wisdom. Smart and brilliant does not equal wisdom. I've met some wise people that are not college-educated that I would follow to the ends of the earth their leadership over people that have triple PhDs from Ivy League schools that have no wisdom at all. Smart people can be fools. Did you know that? Smart, I mean, I'm I'm talking about high IQ, you can still be a fool. Jesus said the most foolish thing is to trade your entire soul, even if you had the whole world. That's a foolish thing. Not wise. We see this all the time. This, this, this uh, uh, mess in Afghanistan, you know how many Ivy League thinkers were probably involved? We probably could have got five people off the street to figure this out better. Really smart people also, they destroy their own lives sometimes. Really smart people destroy their lives with uh, adultery, alcohol, pride, all kinds of things. People destroy entire families over lust. Smart people sell their souls for money. But Nicodemus, he was really smart, intelligent, but he humbled himself and went to Jesus, didn't he? That's the big difference. Third chapter, he humbled himself. That's why we still see his humility here. He's still saying, hold on a second, I think this guy, you guys need to hear him. Tried to tell him that it was the, the law he mandated that they hear him but the wisest thing a person can ever do is repent and believe in Jesus. But these leaders, they reject both wisdom and they reject grace. 
and they, as they reject Jesus. They reject his wisdom, they reject his grace. Um, but they don't just want their own rejection. Look at this quote from William MacDonald. The Pharisees were not only willing to believe, uh, the Pharisees were not only unwilling to believe on the Lord Jesus themselves, but it's clear they did not want others to believe on him either. And so it is today. Many not want to be saved themselves, do everything in their power to prevent their relatives and friends from being saved also. Right. Isn't that so true? Yeah. Yep. People are like, hey, I'm still in this pit. Come on in here with me. But the opposite is also true, brother and sister, as we come to a close right here. But the opposite is also true. If you've responded to believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior with humble repentance, if you've come to now know the joy of salvation and the living water of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life and refreshing your soul, you can't help but want to share that with everybody else. I told the first service, I want to drag as many people to heaven with me as I possibly can. Yeah. I already know that the other side wants to drag as many people to hell as they can. We want to drag as many people to heaven. And I don't mean drag them to heaven. I hope that you will walk your way there, you know? <laughs> you can't really drag anyone there. They have to, Jesus said, come and I'll give you living water, right? But at least I want to point the sign in that direction. You know, like I've said many times in the past, the, the road to hell does not say this way to hell. The road to hell says this way to heaven. It's a false road. And then you have to like reroute and say, no, no, that you've been lied to. This is the road to heaven. And it, you point them to Jesus. It wasn't your good works. It wasn't your religious. It wasn't your grandmother prayed for you. And you're good to go. All that you need to personally come to Jesus for that living water. And I don't know about you, but I know I'm not. And none of us should be, we shouldn't be deterred by everybody else's doubts. They can doubt all they want. It doesn't change the fact that we know who's on the throne. Amen? We know Jesus is... You think Nicodemus was deterred by their doubts? No. He was like, how can I convince them? They couldn't... Once you've been won over by Jesus, there's no going back. Amen? Amen. You're not going back that way. We all have a starting point. But once you have the real thing, once you have the eternal gift, once you simultaneously hold tight to it, you'll want to give it out continually. You'll want to give out what God's given to you. And the good news is Jesus holds tight to us. Amen? Amen. Never let go of us. Nicodemus was safe now from their deception. But later, you're going to see Nicodemus, he becomes much more bold. The Spirit begins to flow from his life, later in his life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for the Words of Jesus, so powerful, so simple, but yet so powerful. And Lord, we thank you that you give us, you've given us that invitation to come to you for living water. And Lord, I don't know everyone in this room or those watching online, but if there's anyone here, Jesus, that doesn't know you today, I pray that they would give their hearts and lives to you in faith believing in you, believing on you, asking for your forgiveness. And with our heads bowed, if there's anyone at all, I don't want to, and I've spoke so much about what Jesus and Jesus alone can give and being the way. If there's anyone here that says, man, I, I've been on that road that I thought was the road to heaven, but it's not. 
I need to put my faith and trust in Christ. And I have this thirst in my soul to be forgiven and, and to be cleansed. I have a thirst for eternal life now. And I want to have that thirst quenched by Jesus. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. If you're here today or if you're online, I can't see the online audience, but I'm speaking to you as well. Anyone at all, just raise your hand and say, I want to have my thirst quenched forever to be cleansed, be forgiven, my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Anyone at all. I'm going to pray anyway because there might be someone online, there might be somebody outside that I can't see. You just pray and believe this. The Bible says if you confess with your heart and believe, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, he is raised and dead, you will be saved. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your shed blood and the empty tomb. I ask, Lord, that you would cleanse me and forgive me. I believe in you as the only way to salvation. Wash me, purify me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. Amen. If you've done that, send us a note at questions at Calvary Chapel RVA. If you're in this audience, we'll have people up here on either side that you can come and have prayer and for other reasons as well. But why don't you stand as we close in song?